chapter 2 eventually, and that's where we're going to be today, Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles with you, or if not, uh, the scripture will be on the screen, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 8. We've been uh, doing a series called Counterfeit Christmas. We talked last week about presents versus presence, the presence of the Lord versus just presence. This week we're going to deal with peace versus passivity, peace versus passivity, uh, as we talk about what Christmas is all about. So beginning with verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, and it says, And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. I like the way it said it in the King James, and they were sore afraid. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news, which will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace on those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So in this angelic announcement, we see really what Christmas is all about. I I actually caught a clip the other night of Rick Warren uh, was on Pierce Morgan. He was being interviewed, and he was talking about his book called The Purpose of Christmas. And he used this passage of the angelic announcement to say that there's really three things that we do at Christmas. First of all, the angel said, um, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And the first thing that we do at Christmas is celebration. I bring you good news of great joy. Christmas is a time of celebration. It's a time of good news. But then not only is it a time of celebration, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. It's a time of salvation. At Christmas, we, it's a time of celebration. It's a time of salvation. A Savior uh, has come to you. But then when he says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests, he announces that it's a time of reconciliation. So it's a time of celebration. It's a time of salvation. And it's a time of reconciliation where God reconciled himself to us. So I'm going to be dealing today with this last part of the angelic announcement where it said peace on earth. I said we're going to be talking about peace versus passivity. So what's the angels mean when he says peace on earth, goodwill to men on whom his favor rests? What's that that all about? You know, growing up, peace, when I was very young, I became familiar with the word peace. In fact, I think peace means so many things to so many people that it almost means nothing anymore. But when I was a kid, uh, I grew up, you know, I was born in 1964, so when I was about five years old, I was still seeing, everyone would greet one another, peace, man, peace. Remember that? The the peace sign was everywhere. And and, and in that context, peace just kind of meant chill, you know? Peace was just... 
hey man, just be cool, peace man. That, that, that's kind of what peace meant back in uh, the 60s. Uh, another definition though that we think of peace, it means uh, the end of war. You know, the, when a peace treaty is signed and there's a, there, there's a war that's, uh, that, that, that's, that's over. I think really the modern meaning of peace that we hear a lot today, though, and you see it on bumpers. How many have seen the bumper sticker that says, coexist? Coexist. And I think I've got it up here. Coexist. You know, that sounds good. Coexist, you know, when you look at it, it's got the Muslim symbol. It's got the peace sign. It's got the uh, Jewish star there. It's got the Buddhist yin and yang. And the T is, 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 you know, the cross. It's like, hey, it's cool, you know. Just, just coexist, you know. The, the, and, 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 you know, if you mean it to mean that we should, we should get along and not fight each other, I agree with that. But when I read this statement, coexist, I almost get the feeling, don't you, that, you know, these are just kind of alternative ways of getting to God. You know, you got Buddha, you know, and I got Jesus, and, you know, he's got Muhammad, and it just kind of means, it kind of means coexist. But is that what the angel meant when, when the angel said, you know, did the angel come down and say, peace, man? <laughs> or, or did the angel come down and say, you know, hey, the war's over. Did the angel say, hey, just, just like Rodney King said, can't we all just get along? You know, can we just get along? Can, can we just coexist? Can we, you know, just live and let live? But this peace that the angels were talking about, the Greek word is erine, and, and it means total well-being. What, what if this were possible? Total well-being, prosperity and security associated with God's presence among his people. A total sense of well-being and prosperity that comes from the sense that God's presence is among his people. So this peace on earth that the angels were talking about goes so much deeper than the modern definition of peace that we have, but, it, but, it's, but it's like in the deepest part of your soul, it's an all is well. That, 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 that God is, is, is giving an all is well to those on whom his favor rests. Now this morning, if I could show you a way that in the deepest part of your soul, you know, that no matter what's going on, you know, we had a man uh, today whose mother died and people are going through physical difficulties. Is it possible in a, in a fallen world where, where things go wrong and things go bad, that in the deepest part of your soul that there would be an all is well? And that's what the angel comes announcing, peace on earth. So today I want to kind of do a little bit different kind of a Christmas message today because, you know, a lot of times when, when, we, um, when we preach, we describe the Christian life and it's kind of like looking at a new car and you're looking at its features and, you know, being a Christian is this and that and watch how it drives and all that. But today I want to do something a little bit different. I want to open the hood and I want to look at the theology of Christmas. What, is, what does Christmas mean? What, what is this peace on earth all about? Not just a cute story of Mary and Joseph in the manger and the wonder of it all and all of that's a wonderful thing. But what does this angel mean when he says peace on earth? And to do that, you have to understand why we need peace. And so we have to back up. We have to back way up. And we have to back all the way up to, back to creation. And here's how, here's, how, here's how the story begins and why we need peace. And I think it's so important that we start here. Listen to this. You were designed 
for a totally fulfilling relationship with God. Now, that's, that's really important. And not everyone believes that, by the way, because a lot of people start with the fact of how screwed up you are. You, you know, we call it sometimes worm theology. We used to sing it that way. For such a worm as I, at the cross, at the cross, you know, for such a worm as I. You know, kind of that worm theology that we're just, we're just nothing, absolutely nothing good about. But before Adam and Eve fell in the garden, you need to know that you were created in the image of God. That there was something in you that, 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 that God put his stamp, the stamp of creators in, in every one of you, and you were designed for a totally fulfilling relationship with God. In ancient times, if a king took over a new territory, he couldn't be in the new territory, so he would put an image of himself in that that would rule and reign in his stead. That image would rule and reign. What God did when he created humans was he created an image of himself that he put on the earth, and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And, and there was something godlike, and he said to human beings, you can name the animals. I'm going to give you leadership. I'm going to give you uh, the ability to, to, to be partners with me, and we're going to have this wonderful, fulfilling relationship together. And they had peace I had peace with God. And I almost hear the voice of Louis Armstrong saying, And I say to myself, what a wonderful world. You know, it was a wonderful world back then, right? Before, before sin got involved and there's this partnership and peace with God. As you know, however, that, that after that, Adam and Eve, you know the story. They took the fruit and, and, and they sinned. And here's what, here's, here's, here's what you need to know about sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. Now, this is important how we think about this, and here's why. Because a lot of people think that when we sinned, that God is kind of like a real grumpy taskmaster that just waits for you to mess up, and he's mad at you most of the time, and, 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 uh, and that God is, is kind of like a, a grumpy uh, being in the sky, just, just waiting for things to go wrong. But I want you to notice something, that when Adam and Eve sinned, they had been meeting together in the cool of the day. God was talking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And you know what happened the day after they sinned? God still showed up. God showed up for the meeting the day after they had sinned. But it was an Adam, Adam and Eve that didn't show up. You see, the truth of the matter is that sin separates us from God. And God's not the one that left. In fact, God would be glad to continue that relationship. He would have loved to have talked that over with them in the cool of the day. But they hid themselves. And that's what we do today when we sin. We, we hide ourselves and it separates us from God. But I would go even further. I think that sin doesn't just separate us from God. I think sin separates us from one another. You see, because there's this really cool thing that God creates us and Adam has this wonderful relationship with God and that's a great thing and it's a wonderful thing but there was still a little bit of problem because the Bible said it's not good for a man to be alone and so he creates a woman and when there's that fellowship, 
between the man and the woman and between God. It's just, and that's what God made us for. He made us to love God and he made us to love one another. He made us to have harmony with our Creator and harmony with one another. And so what happens with sin is it messes up that relationship with God and then it also messes up that relationship with one another. Now we're a little bit different than Adam and Eve because Adam and Eve were, were born innocent. We're not. See, we got a little extra problem than Adam and Eve had because now Adam and Eve become our fathers and mothers, if you will. And so, and so we are born with a sin nature. Now hear me this morning. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. Let me say that again. You're not a sinner because you sin, but the reason you sin is because you're a sinner. In other words, it comes second nature to you. <laughs> because our parents were that way. And, and, and so, uh, you know, in theology we call it the, the Adamic nature. Uh, the Adamic comes from the word Adam. It's our Adam nature. It's, it's this sinful nature that we have. And so, and so we're born with a propensity. And so other than Jesus Christ, nobody's made it without sinning because we're just born with this original sin inside of us. And it's just part of our nature. And it and it separates us from God, and there's, a, there's this breach, in this, and, and, and there needs to be peace, and there is no peace because sin separates us from God. And then John Calvin comes along and says that as a result of this sin nature, we're just totally depraved, and there's nothing that we can do uh, for ourselves. So we're born sinners because it's our nature. And, and then, you know, since we're kind of on the bad news spectrum of the sermon here, it kind of gets worse from that because the penalty of sin is death. That, that because we sin, something's got to die. We were made for this perfect, fulfilling relationship with God, and when that, when, when that breach is made, because God is holy and because and the demands of his holiness mean that we cannot be in his presence without something paying the price for that sin. So if you remember Adam and Eve in the garden, they, um, they, they make a mess of it and they, uh, they try fig leaves. They try to cover up their nakedness with fig leaves, you're right? You remember that? That's not very good when the wind's blowing, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So they got, they got this fig leaf thing. But, but you know what God does? God says this fig leaf, this way, this way you have of fixing it really won't work. And so God kills an animal. And there's an animal that dies, right? An innocent animal. An innocent animal that dies and gives up its skins. And Adam and Eve are now covered. And this, this animal takes their place. So God kills the animal and makes the skins to cover their nakedness. You remember when um, you remember when Ad, when uh, God's people uh, were in Egypt and the plagues were um, the plagues were falling on the Egyptians and and finally the last plague was that the last that the, the, the firstborn son would would have to die. You remember that? 
Unless what happened? Unless you had over the doorpost of your house, unless there was blood that was put over the doorpost of your house, if there was blood put over the doorpost of your house, which meant something had to die, right? That an animal, that an innocent animal had to die. If you would take that lamb and that innocent animal would have to die and that would be put over the doorpost of your house, then you could, then you would live. But not only that, in the sacrifices that were set up, under the law, when someone sinned, they could bring an animal, and, and, and an animal had to die, and that animal would substitute for their sins. God made it so that, that they wouldn't have to die for their sins, but some animal would have to die for their sins. And then once a year, on the Day of Atonement, there was, uh, the priest would go in, and there, was, there, was two, uh, there, there, there were two animals, and um, two goats, and, and the priest would lay hands on one of the goats, and he would confer all of the sins of all of the people for that year on that goat, and then they would kill the goat. And then he would lay hands on another uh, one of the goats and, and, and confer all of the sins on that goat, and he would spank it on the rear, and that, that uh, goat would go off wandering in the desert and die, and it was called a scapegoat. You've heard of a scapegoat. So that scapegoat would just wander out into the desert, and it would die. And now we come to Luke chapter 2. The angel appears to shepherds who are in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks. Now here's what you need to know about these shepherds. These are not ordinary shepherds. These are special shepherds. The shepherds around Jerusalem, I'm sorry, around Bethlehem, were taking care of, in fact, they were priestly shepherds, they were taking care of sheep that were going to be slaughtered. These sheep would be slaughtered for people's sins. And so these shepherds are watching over their flocks by night, and the angel of the Lord comes and says to them, Hey, shepherds, I got some really good news. Imagine that, that. Imagine how many sheep there had to be. There had to be enough sheep for every person, right? There had to be enough sheep because everyone sins, and so they had to have have sheep for all of these uh, all of these people. And he said, "I've got really good news because a Savior has been born, and I'm announcing that there is going to be peace on earth." Jesus, when he comes to the Last Supper. He is with his disciples and he holds up the bread and he says, this is my body that is broken for you. When he lifts the cup of wine, he says, this is my blood which is shed for you. And, and then um, you remember on uh, Palm Sunday, this is just before Jesus goes to the cross, in Luke chapter 19, they're yelling, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they be quiet, the stones will cry out. Basically, they were saying the same thing that the angels had said. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then, uh, and then 
Here's Here's what it says in verse 41. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, now listen to this, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus is saying, if you only understood, yes, I know it's exciting news, Jesus has come, but if you knew what brought you peace, and it's been hidden from your eyes. And then when Jesus is on the cross, the last words that he utters are, tetelestai, which is, it is finished. What, what, what's finished? He's not, he's not talking about the fact that his life is finished. He's talking about the fact that this thing from the creation, this, this relationship that, that God and humans had at the beginning of creation, and now because of sin, we're separated from one another. God intervened in human history, and he became the substitutionary theological word, the substitutionary atonement for our sins. Atonement is a big word, but let me break it down for you. You know what atonement means? At one meant. Here's how it's spelled, at one meant. God and us are separated, but because of the atonement, we are brought back together because of what he did for us. Hebrews chapter 10 says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered, listen to this, for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What's he saying there? He's saying that from now on, not every time, every time you sin, there doesn't have to be a new there doesn't have to be a new turtle dove or a new goat or a new sheep. Nothing has to be brought and killed because once for all, a once for all, Jesus has died for our sins. What does that mean? Once for all, it means once for all people. He died for all people. It means once for all time. Let me tell you the beauty of the cross. The beauty of the cross is that it goes back and it forgives all the people who lived before the cross. So that Abraham's going to be in heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. And Abraham is saved by grace through faith just the same way we were. He had faith. The Bible says Abraham walked by faith. But because of the shed blood of Jesus... Because before Jesus lived, all those sins were just rolled ahead another year, another year, but they could never be wiped away. They were just rolled ahead, rolled ahead, rolled ahead. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, once for all, once for all people, once for all time, his... He, 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 he was our substitutionary lamb. He was our, and so when John the Baptist sees Jesus, remember that? John the Baptist is out bad, and he sees Jesus. What does he say? He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because when he saw Jesus, he knew that he had seen the Lamb. In Jesus, this is where I want to end today, in Jesus, God made peace with humanity once for all. 
this isn't, this isn't, um, this isn't, some people hear that and they think, oh, you're preaching universalism. You mean that everyone's going to be saved because if he, if he died for, for all people? It's not what we're saying. In fact, what the angel said, he said, peace on those on whom his favor rests. Who are the people on whom his favor rests? It's those who receive him. Those those who receive the free gift of salvation are those who, he died for it. You need to get this in your your school this morning, that that, that when you come to the Lord, that's not the moment that he's going to forgive you. I got some really good news for you this morning. He already forgave you. He already forgave you. He forgave you before you sinned. All you have to do is receive. You can't crucify him again. He died. He's not going to die over and over and over again. He died once for all. It's been paid for, paid in full. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And here's the deal, guys, and this this is taking me a lifetime to get over, but I came to tell you some really good news this morning, and that is that God's not mad at you. He's not waiting for you to to goof up and screw up. You are going to goof up. You've got that Adamic nature in you. you're, You're not very much unlike your parents, Adam and Eve. But what Jesus has promised to us is he promises a a new nature. A new nature. He can put his spirit inside of each of us. Isn't that good news? So no wonder, no wonder the angels got excited on that hillside after thousands of years and said, Glory to God in the highest! And peace on those on whom his favor rests. Now, if you grew up like me, this sounds too easy. (laughs) Because, you know, I kind of grew up, you kind of had to earn it. You know what I mean? You kind of had to get God to like you. Just, you know, just do all the right stuff all the time, and then maybe, can I just tell you something? I come to church faithfully not so that God will like me or so that I get back in his good graces. I come to church all the time because he loves me so much and I just don't want to be out of fellowship with that kind of love. You know what I'm saying? I want to be in relationship. I don't, I don't do my, my Christian stuff so that, you know, kind of like the petunia. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Can I just tell you that on God's flower, every petal says he loves me. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? He loves me. Amen. Amen. That's under the hood, Christmas, all right? That's lifting up the hood and saying what was going on there. It's more than just a cute little baby in a manger. But God God was solving a problem that goes all the way back, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So accepting Jesus as Lord in our lives and as our Savior opens up our lives to God and gives us incredible personal peace. You can this morning have an all is well in your soul. 
You can have an all is well in your soul. You can have that, you can have that sense that no matter what's going on in my life, that there may be, I may be going through, I, I might be unemployed, I might be going through all kinds of turmoil in my life right now, but this morning I can know that all is well, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Are you thankful for that today? Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes right now. And um, You know, I'm always cautious when I, give this, when I give this invitation time that people don't think this is all there is. Because all, what this is, is, is it's, it's a doorway. It's, it's a next step. The first thing that you need to do, it's, it's a next step. The first thing that you need to do is to, to accept the fact that he already did for you what you could not do for yourself. So you sinned. Welcome to the human family. We all have and fallen short of the glory of God. But today he wants you to know that he already did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And so if today you would like to say, I would just like to invite Jesus into my heart for the first time. I'd like to receive this gift of salvation. If you're here today and you'd like to do that, Would you raise your hand in this building right now and just say, I'd like to receive that. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Shall we just pray together? I'll word the prayer for you, but you just pray along with me in your heart this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you came to this world and that you announced really good news. That is, Lord, that you're not mad at us, Lord, but that even when we first fell all the way back in the garden, you were already, you showed up for the appointment the next day, and we ran from you, and we strayed from you, and God, we're so sorry that we strayed. But today we recognize, Lord, that when we couldn't come up to your level, you came down to our level, and you came to this world And you lived a sinless life and you died on the cross so that we could have salvation. Today we receive that free gift. We accept you as our Lord and Savior. And we begin a new walk with you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Can we just thank the Lord right now? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Praise team, if you'd come forward. We're going to sing, Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. If you, um, we're going to receive the morning tithe and offering right now. And while we're receiving the offering, if there's anybody here, and I've asked Linda Randolph if she'd come down, and I'd, I'd ask if some of you elders would pray over Linda this morning. She's got macular degeneration. She, have you already had the shot, or is your shot this week? She's going to have a shot uh, to try to get her vision back. She can barely see this morning. But she needs prayer this morning. If anybody else, while we're... Um, while we're singing and receiving the offering, if you need special prayer this morning, we invite you to come down this morning. Amen. Let's, Lord, we just thank you for your people. Bless them as they give this morning. We just pray, Lord, that you would use these gifts for your kingdom. You're an awesome God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, come let us... Uh, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. 
Oh, come let us adore Him, cry the Lord. Oh, He alone is worthy, for He alone is worthy, for He alone is worthy. Christ the Lord will give you all the glory. We'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the glory. Sing tenor, Noah. Oh, Now, Lord, we bless your people and we thank you for this day that you've made. We rejoice and we're glad in it. We thank you for the good news that you've come to this world. We celebrate. And, Lord, we proclaim that you are the Savior. But, Lord, we thank you for reconciling us back to yourself and bringing peace on earth. I pray, Lord, that we would leave today with that sense of all is well in our souls. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. You may be dismissed. God bless you. The mountain, over the hills, everywhere.